Under the Tartan Sky, Episode 35, produced 12 February 2017. Celtic music is a broad term used to loosely describe the music from the lands of the Celts, primarily Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. At its heart, Celtic music is a folk music, often with distinctive styles, tunings, and lyrics. It's been traced back to the 1600s and remains a popular musical genre today, performed by such artists as Enya, the Chieftains, and the Corps and spawning offshoots like the Celtic rock of bands like The Elders and Shuglanifti, and an even more niche bag rock of the Red Hot Chili Pipers. With the Celtic diaspora spreading around and into almost every corner of the world, it's no surprise that Celtic music has influenced countless other genres, and nowhere more so than here in North America. We'll explore the influence of Celtic music on American folk, bluegrass, country, and more in a moment when singer, songwriter, and storyteller Jed Morum joins us here under the Tartan Sky. History, heritage, archaeology. In 2017, Scotland invites you to peer into the mists Scotland's history is a long and rich one, filled with stories of legends and myths. Its heritage can be found in fields of standing stones and the ruins of castles that once were clan strongholds. Through the science of archaeology, new discoveries of ruins and artefacts are continuously being made that often reveal tantalising new clues to stories yet untold. In 2017, more than 50 events are planned built around nine major festivals as Scotland invites visitors and locals alike to come face to face with the past. Great legends have been made throughout Scotland's history. What story will you write when you visit Scotland in the year of history, heritage and archaeology? Jed Marham is a New England-born singer, songwriter, and storyteller, whose music is deeply rooted in a mix of American folk and Celtic styles. His music is featured regularly on folk, American, and Celtic radio stations around the world, and is available on all major MP3 streaming services. Since 1999, Marham has released more than a dozen albums and has contributed original and classic songs to a half-dozen TV and film projects. The latest of those will see his music amongst other contributors, including the rock band Kansas, Michael Martin Murphy, John McEwen of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Martina McBride, and others. Now a resident of Texas, Marum travels widely, performing more than 150 shows annually. His music brings to his audiences a blend of American, Scottish, and Irish cultures in songs that are both traditional and contemporary. Marum has a strong love for historical songwriting, reflecting his keen interest in the passing of both history and culture from generation to generation through music. Given that interest, I could think of no one better to help us explore the influence of Celtic music on all genres of American music, including folk, bluegrass, country, cowboy, and yes, even pop. I first met Jed at one of his live performances about three years ago. But for those who don't know him, I thought it best to start at the beginning. So I asked Jed when he first developed an appreciation for music. I, I clearly recall, I must have been four years old when my brother and I, uh, my older brother and I, my dad would put us to bed at night and he'd come and sing with us for a while, you know, when we went to sleep. And I just remember just feeling so impressed and, and such a love of music, um, and singing these songs, and uh, and throughout all of my childhood, you know, my mother and father both sang a lot, and my dad would always sing the songs that he learned as a kid, and of course his his parents his parents' generation were either born overseas or just get gotten here, or their brothers and sisters were. So a lot of my 
the grand aunts and uncles of, of my family were, um, you know, brand new immigrants from Scotland and from Ireland. In my father's case, they were all from Ireland. And, and I remember the accents of those, of that generation. So, you know, and these are all songs, I, of course, I, as a kid, you, you think everybody in America grows up singing Molly Malone and Spandle Hill and, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. But uh, so those are my earliest memories. And that's really, it switched me on, you know, very young. And I always loved music as, as a result of that. Well, you answered one of my next questions then, and that is, um, obviously, you have a love for Celtic music uh, and American yeah. folk music. Um, and I was going to ask, do you have Celtic ancestry? And clearly, you say you do from both Scotland and Ireland. Yeah, that's right. From both sides. Yeah. My mother's family, um, my grandmother, who I remember very well, my mother's mother, um, we're close to, to her. Uh, she was the youngest of five daughters and the younger two, the youngest two of those were born here. The others were born in England. And uh, she married a fellow whose um, parents came uh, from Scotland. And on my father's side, as I said, they were all from Ireland. So you know, they, these are the songs that I grew up singing and, uh, you know, and learning. And of course they sang American songs too. And, uh, and I have pretty much an equal, um, love of American folk music mm -hmm. as, as I do for Celtic. So then you're truly, I guess, the, the absolute walking definition of Scott Irish. Yeah, I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> as you developed then this love for music, who were some of your early musical influences beyond your, your family? When I decided I wanted to play guitar, I remember seeing, you know, the, the cowboy movies with the guys playing guitar and singing. So maybe that's what made me think about, uh, you know, learning guitar myself. Saturday mornings with Roy Rogers on TV. Exactly. That yeah. sort of thing. And, uh, and when I asked for that, I think my mother probably thought about it. And she said, well, you know, Pete Seeger plays folk music. And she liked Pete Seeger. And so she thought that might be okay. <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. So Pete Seeger was certainly one of my early influences. And, and of course, the cowboy singers. Um, but, you know, then I, you know, I did like the Kingston Trio. I liked the folk style stuff that they were bringing in. But when I really started to learn music, uh, I was already, you know, one of the first songs I ever sang was a Bob Dylan song, you know, Blown in the Wind, I think. And at the same time, I was learning guitar, I was taking guitar lessons, and I learned, I had a book called The Art of American Folk Blues, I think it was called. And it was a Mel Bay series. Uh, Mel Bay is a wonderful teacher, and he's got, you know, great series of, of instruction books for learning guitar. And... Uh, and so I learned a lot of the blues, early blues songs uh, from that, you know, things like Sporting Life Blues, Mule Skinner Blues, and mm -hmm. all that sort of thing. And I'm, you know, I don't know, 11, 12 years old when I'm learning these songs. Growing up in Boston, as I did, we heard um, from people like Gordon Lightfoot, of course. And, yes. and of course, I loved the rock and roll music, you know, the Beatles when they came along. And, you know, I, I liked Led Zeppelin, but I loved Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know, that kind of stuff. So... I did play some rock and roll. I did play some blues. I did have electric guitars for a few years. But, you know, I, I, as much as I love that kind of music, I, I guess I'm an acoustic bigot, you know. I, it, all I, all I want to do is play acoustic music. As much as I love the other stuff, you know, I'm, I'm apt to sit down and listen to rock and roll. But when I play, I, I want to play an acoustic guitar. I don't even own an electric anymore. So That's interesting because I um, came up in, in – pretty much the same generation. You've mentioned a lot of the artists that I've, I'm familiar with. And uh, and I play bass guitar, started playing when I was a kid, inspired by the Beatles and Paul McCartney. And But at some point in my life, I too swung to the, uh, not the folk side so much, but certainly the acoustic side. Um, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, um, yeah. uh, America, uh, Kenny Loggins oh. and Jim Messina, you know, that type, oh, of, yeah. that type of music. That really, and that really is kind of where my, uh, my popular music interest still resides. So do you have any sense as to, to why you went the folk genre more so? Why the rock didn't, you know, the rock and the pop didn't stick with you? My wife and I got married at 18 and had a family. And, and uh, you know, so I, I it was not going to be in the cards for me to make my living at playing music at that time. Uh, or I chose not to anyway. And and so what I did was I worked a day job and I worked music at night, like so many people do. Sure. And uh, in the earliest days, you know, I was when I was playing in a rock band, we were pretty successful and did pretty well. But it was kind of hard to keep that together and the personalities involved and all that kind of stuff. And kind of forced me to go, uh, if I was going to keep working music, 
to go and and do it on my own, which really meant I was going to be uh, playing acoustic stuff. And and of course, once I started doing that, I realized <laughs> that's where really where my heart was anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I just you know I stayed doing that, and as years went by, I realized I wasn't going to you know I, I sold my amps, I sold my electric guitars, and and uh, just stuck to uh, guitar and and. And I did that for many years. Um, well, I got it, it, eventually when my kids were a little bit older, and I was working better and better day jobs. Now I'm working in the IT business, you know, information technology, as they called it in those days, and worked in the business world. And so I kind of gave up the music because I was traveling all over the world, actually, uh, for a number of years. And so I, I gave up the music at night and thought that I'd left it behind. And uh, and then after about 12 years of that or so, I, I walked into a guitar center one day. I, I never lost my, my bad habit of, of hanging out at music stores and playing all the beautiful guitars. Yeah, we all have that. And, yeah, I still do it. Um, and uh, Guitar Center opened up a, a, a brand new store here in North Dallas when I was still working in the business world. And I walked in there one day and found this beautiful guitar from John Larivee and uh, a big jumbo body, which I'd always loved that style. And, and I bought it. And uh, as soon as I started playing again and I started performing again, um, I knew I was going to give up the day job. And within a year I was uh, working at music full time and gave up the day job. And, and uh, I've been broke ever since, but I, I love what I'm doing. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to ask when you mentioned that, what was the family's reaction when you came home with this new guitar and said, guess what? <laughs> yeah. Well, my wife was surprisingly supportive when I brought it home, the new guitar. Um, of course I made a lot more money in those days than I could afford to buy a, a very nice guitar. But, um, you know, it, once I started I, I had when I did work in the business world, I was uh, most of that time I was working as an independent consultant. So much the same thing as you do as a as a uh, musician. You know, you you seek out your own work and you work for yourself. And uh -huh. uh, so I just kind of changed the style of work I was looking for. But of course, there's no argument that I also gave up ninety percent of my income that first year and. Yeah, that was hard. It was an adjustment. And since since I've been doing it now for 17 years, I guess, um, you know, we've kind of <laughs> figured out how to make it work. So you said this was about 17 years ago when you kind of made the switch, left the business world and went into music full time. Was that when you first stepped out and started performing or had you done uh, some public performing at a younger age? I had done public performing at a younger age. I really did it regularly from junior high school. Um, up until, oh gosh, I was in probably my mid thirties and I worked regularly in junior high school. We, we played coffee houses and things like that. Um, high school, I didn't play so much, uh, in college, uh, I played regularly again, started playing bars and some coffee houses, which is where they did folk style music. And, and then of course with the rock and roll, that was mostly bars. And, and so it, it was an important part of my income when I was young. But I, I, I only did it at night, and during the day, I'd work, uh, you know, day jobs. Obviously, you travel quite a bit, as you've mentioned, yes. um, performing. And um, as we've established, you have a, a very deep interest in both American folk music and Celtic music. So yeah. um, let's take a look. Let's talk about a bit about Celtic music in general. We're going to talk about some of your work in specific as well. Celtic music really broadly encompasses the music of the people of Scotland and Ireland and Wales. Um, but is, mm -hmm. is, is Celtic music just Celtic music or are there definable differences in, for example, the music of Scotland versus the music of Ireland? Yeah, there are pretty just, just definable differences, especially in, in, in my style in, in the Celtic world, you know, I guess you'd consider me a balladeer. I sing songs. That's really what's brought me to music. I love to sing. And I love to sing the songs that tell stories. And I love the ballads and the old Irish ballads and old Scottish ballads. And both of them have a wonderful and rich history. And they're similar in that sense. But the, the musical style is pretty different. Um, you know, the, the most popular sort of Celtic music nowadays that we think about, or one of the most popular, is, is the Irish traditional um, bands 
you know, the so-called the, the Cayley style mm-hmm. uh, bands that, that play the Irish tunes. And, you know, that's uh, that's not what I do. I've played some of that. Uh, I do. I love playing that when I have the opportunity to. But I'm not an instrumental player, uh, per se. Um, a guitar player in that world is strictly an accompanist. Um, and it's kind of a, it's very different from what I do um, ordinarily as a player. So in, in, in Irish trad music, basically, the, the, uh, the tr- you play tunes that are um, essentially dance tunes, uh, you know, to specific rhythms, jigs, reels, uh, polkas are pretty popular in Irish music, slip jigs, you know, all these variations on those rhythms. And everybody plays the tune. All of the tune players, you know, will play the tune and, and then they'll play that tune, you know, three times through and they'll jump to the next tune. And uh, they'll very often... Uh, decide what those tunes are ahead of time. That's the best way to do it. But sometimes if you're in a, in a, in a bar in a session, you know, and it's just kind of free for all, they'll just go on and on and on, jump from tune to tune and somebody will take the lead and, and off you go. And, and, but that's, that's different from what I do as a singer. My, my interest is in singing the songs, the songster, the balladeer in Irish music and, and in Scottish music, they're, they're very similar. And, uh, there's some differences in the style, perhaps, in the way the Irish develop melodies and the way the Scots do, but they're, they're pretty similar, actually. Well, and and is it fair to say a balladeer is what many of us would refer to, I suppose, um, especially in more historic times, as uh, as a minstrel, a person that kind of traveled from place to place, in many cases, singing songs to to earn his keep, really. And and in a in a way, I know a lot of the early, and I'll use the term minstrels. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, traveled around uh, the country, and, and that was how a lot of history was told and, and carried on from generation to generation for a while, was through uh, traveling singers. Yeah, I think that's true. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, I have a personal uh, theory about that in general. I think, you know, it's human nature um, to set a story if you want a story to re- be remembered, especially if it's an artful story that is a poem or um, even a bit of prose, but if you want it to be remembered word for word, um, then then what you do is you set it to a rhythm or or a rhythm and music. And, and that's how you can recall those things for generation to generation and retell that story with the same or very similar words for, for generations. And, and I think that's a human nature. I think the Irish and the Scots have done it to a magnificent degree. <laughs> Couldn't we say that Robbie Burns is one who certainly had some experience at that? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. The, the Shakespeare, so to speak, of, of um, Scottish music, uh, really, of, of American folk music, too. I mean, so much of his influence is, is seen, even in our American politics, you know. I mean, he was, he was a leader of the, uh, or one of the leaders of the Scottish Reformation, you know, the, the notions of, of, oh, I don't know, human worth or self-worth. Uh, you know, you don't have to be born noble of noble blood to, to be a worthwhile human being sort of thing. That's a basic message in his music, you know song after song story after story and, and and that that's really a basic american tenet i mean that's you know the young fellows that grew up hearing his poetry and his music were among the fellows who were the most important of our frontiersmen and and you know the settling of this land and and the fellows who shaped the american dream and uh you know i i, I just see that I see a direct connection <laughs> to Robert Burns, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I really think it's there. So, yeah. Well, and that's interesting. And it, and it brings to mind, uh, as I was researching for our chat, um, I came across a, a blog, uh, by a group called the London Celtic punks. I'm not familiar with them. Don't know if you are, but there was a statement there that says, and, and I'll read this. There has always been a strong argument that folk music is the original rebel music music of the people, and historically, through that music, the people challenged the landowners, challenged the state, and wrote the stories that recounted these acts. Do you think that's a fair statement? It sounds like that's kind of where you were talking about. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, I I really see, and especially in people like Burns, you know, and so much of the music in the 60s that became popular, uh, the stuff that was written then, you know, the Bob Dylan time Mm -hmm. era, and and the music that they selected to sing uh, from generations before, you know, was definitely that that sort of notion of, you know, social consciousness, uh, uh, oftentimes rebellion uh, against at least the status quo and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. 
And Celtic music, of course, came to the United States through the immigration, obviously, um, as early as pre-colonial times, really, I guess, immediately after the Highland Clearances in Scotland, when so many immigrants began to arrive here. And then, of course, later, um, the Irish influence came in when, when the immigrants from Ireland began to escape the potato famine and that sort of thing. Um, and then all of that sort of melded. And the melting pot for Celtic music, as I understand it, was pretty much Appalachia. That's where a lot of the early yeah. immigrants settled. Um, sure. And we see the influence of Celtic music from that point forward, right on through today's music, I think. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yes. I've even heard tell, although I've never seen it written down, that, that um, uh, Bill Monroe, the father of bluegrass, um, as he's recognized by so many, um, actually studied uh, Scottish uh, folk tunes, fiddle tunes, and and uh, in, you know with a with a mind of of imitating that with with his uh, mandolin style. Don't know if it's true, but it certainly is a good point. You know, if you, uh, I think there's good evidence for that in his music. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, some of the research uh, referring to more of my research here. The I was reading where. Um, in Wikipedia, the people's encyclopedia, I suppose, um, uh-huh. <laughs> talks about Celtic music as being um, a blend of Americanized interpretations of English, Scottish, Irish traditional music and blended with the sacred hymns and African-American spirituals. It's a sort of a, a fusion of immigrant meets slave. And a lot of that, of course, took place <laughs> in and around the Appalachians and then spreading into the deeper south. Um, yeah. Is that a fair, uh, you think, capsulation of of the evolution of Celtic music here in the United States and the roots of where it began to impact what we now would refer to as American music? Well, I thought you were going to ask if it was a, a fair reflection of uh, or depiction of uh, Celtic music. Um, I well, do think it is. Okay, I'll, I do ask, think I'll ask that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's think about that in two different questions. Okay. I do think, you know, the music that we uh, most frequently call Celtic music, and as you say, that's most most of the time we're referring to Irish and Scottish. And sometimes we include the other um, Celtic nations as well, such as Wales and uh, Cape Breton and, and so forth. But mm-hmm. um, we're talking about musical style as far as tradition and so forth, the way you play your fiddle, the way you play the tunes and so forth. Um, I think that if you're talking about that, that really is already, we talk about it as being traditional, but it really has already been, in my estimation, uh, greatly affected by that melting pot that's been done here in America and in the Celtic nations themselves. But uh, in other words, it's not really something you'd expect to actually hear played that way a hundred years ago or 50 years ago, even Um, it is a a much more modern uh, interpretation of that. Uh, And I don't mean that as a criticism. I think that's wonderful. I love that kind of music and I love what it's done. And, and as far as the next question is concerned, I do think you're right. I, that's where I see the African influence more in, in the American music than in the Celtic. I'm not sure I understand how the Celtic music has been strongly influenced by African stuff. And maybe, maybe it's there and I just don't see it. I haven't heard that argument, but I do see it in, in American folk styles. And, and banjo is a great example of, of that. that. Banjo certainly came from Africa, the yes. instrument that it became uh, came from, at least. And that always had that drone string, that fifth drone string. And that drone sound is something that Celtic music always loved to have. And uh, it's a different use of drones, but it is still a drone string. And it, and it does have an influence on the way the music is developed, the way the melodies work. And that was always also true with the uh, the African banjo. Now, of course, they grew up, you know, thousands of years and thousands of miles apart, so they really weren't from the same source. But now that they found each other, <laughs> at least in America, and that's, you know, I, I can see the influence. We think about the ban- banjo as an American instrument because it became that instrument here in America. But uh, as I said, it does come from Africa. And the African instrument always had that drone string, that high little fifth string on most banjos that you see. Um, that you just strike once in a while. And that's most commonly seen in bluegrass and uh, some of the American folk style stuff. But that banjo was quickly adopted by the Irish players and brought back, must have been around the same time it was influencing America. They dropped the drone string, interestingly enough, and and they shortened the neck a bit and you know put heavier and tighter strings on it. And then they use it as an, uh, uh, an instrumental 
uh, what's the word, a melody uh, instrument rather than chords for the most part. Uh-huh. You know, so it did have an influence uh, on the Celtic music in that sense. And we're we're kind of getting into the meat of the issue, and that and that is how Celtic music um, has influenced music that we listen to today, or American music, how it's migrated from the Celtic nations into the United States, and of course with the immigrants. And you're right. When I think of drone in terms of music, I think of of the the Highland Scottish bagpipe because it has the drone pipe. Um, I never right. I never really thought of that in of the drone sound in terms of being created. In, an, in another way, either vocally yeah. or instrumentally, as you're talking about with the drone string on the banjo. And, and it brings to mind my interview not long ago with Doogie McLean, who, of course, is one of Scotland's great singer-songwriters. And he talked about how he writes a lot of his music using using open tuning. Now, is, yeah. am I sensing that perhaps there's he's doing that to create that sort of drone sound within his music that perhaps I was never aware of before? Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. Um, there are, are several open tunings, so-called, uh, for guitar and, and some of the other instruments like the Irish bazooki and, and various citterns or mandolin family instruments that they use. And even banjo uses some, some open tunings. Well, banjo is actually an open tuned um, instrument to begin with, but uh, they use the open tunings in the Celtic music. For the most part, they use what's called a modal tuning. And uh, modal is simply a description of the of the scales that you use to for the uh, for the instrument. Uh, you know, you have major scales, you have minor scales, you have modal scales, you have other kinds of scales, um, and they all have a different sort of feel to them, an emotional response, I suppose you, you have. For example, I think most people understand that a, uh, a song that's done in a major key um, you often think of as a happy song, and a song that's done in a in a minor key, you think of as a sad song. But uh, if you use a scale that is called modal, it's kind of somewhere in between. It's not, it's not quite happy. It's not quite sad. It's something in between. Uh, it, it gives you sort of a, a longing sense of, you know, wanting fulfillment sort of thing. That's the emotional response to uh, modal um, tunings. And, and you do it on your guitar. Now, a guitar, generally speaking, in standard tuning, is a chromatic instrument, much mm-hmm. like a piano. All the notes are there, and you simply you know, use the fingerings that you want to get the, um, uh, the sounds you want out of them. If you tune it in an open tune, as they're so-called, then you are tuning it more like a harmonica in that all of the notes aren't there particularly and in the way that you pl- want to play it. And all these fingerings different, and you are playing in a specific key. Now, chances are you can play in two or three keys with that tuning um, pretty comfortably. But basically, you're meant to play in that one key. And you do it to achieve a particular um, sound. In Irish and Scottish music, they do those modal tunings. And the most popular of which is called Dadgad, but there are also others. And I know Doogie McLean uses others. Um, and... It gives you that that real drony sort of sound. You know, you hear a lot of the same notes. You'll hear one, two, three, four chord changes in a row. But in those four, four of those chord changes, you'll hear the same notes uh, repeated with with some differences in between. The chord changes are much more subtle. It's not quite as obvious that you've made a change. And um, you do it on purpose. Again, it, it kind of sets the mood for uh, the music that's being played against it. And it's it's a very, very interesting and it's a beautiful sound. Um, it's challenging in that uh, it changes the way you, uh, you want to play the guitar if you play that way all the time. And, of course, you've developed all the chops, so to speak. Uh, but you, you play up and down the neck mo- much more often, for example, rather than in a certain position. Uh, if you want to change keys dramatically, you probably have to snap on a capo mm-hmm. rather than just change the chord forms you're using. So, you know, it's and maybe we're getting pretty technical here, but, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the reason you, you generally use, especially in Celtic music, the open tunings is because you are looking to get a drony sort of effect and you're looking for a particular sort of sound in, in your accompaniment. Okay. And Doogie McLean does it beautifully. As, as does Jim Jim Malcolm also. Uh, yes, another you know really 
sophisticated and elegant player. And it's, it's amazing when I watch guys like Malcolm and, and, you know, <laughs> it's, if people can think, you know, oh, he's a good guitar player. But if you're a guitar player and you watch him play, you think, wow, that guy is really good. <laughs> he's much more, much better than, than um, people could tell uh, just from, uh, you know, watching. Jim actually, um, as you probably know, comes to the States every year and does a, uh, yeah. a, a wee tour of uh, home concerts. And I've had the chance to see him for the last two or three years. Um, um, hopefully one day I'll get to sit down uh, and do this same thing with him when he's in town um, next time. Um, right. I don't want to get off the banjo because it's an interesting instrument. Yeah. Um, we know that the fiddle, for example, came across the ocean. It came with the immigrants and and, and became right. a very integral part of music in America. The banjo, as you say, came from a different direction, came from uh, Africa with the slave population yeah. and was uh, adopted into American music. But it, as you just mentioned, um, it also kind of immigrated the other way. It went back across the pond into Ireland, particularly where it's a very popular, um, instrument. That's right. And, um, in, in America, as I understand it, 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 one of the reasons it became so popular is that you can play, uh, a lot of fiddle tune tunes can be played on the banjo. There's a lot of trans translation there back and forth. Um, yeah. you play guitar, you play mandolin, you mm. also play banjo. And, yeah. um, it, it brings to mind one of the pieces, cause I do want to get into some of your specific work and that is Kayla's Waltz. Ah, Kayla's Waltz. Kayla's Waltz. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that is a beautiful banjo piece, but as I was listening to it, I, I began to think, you know, this begins to sound like a fiddle tune. I, I think yeah. I could, I could hear it being played on the fiddle. Am I off base there or anywhere close? No, no, you're right on. That's exactly what I was thinking. I did write it, you know, on the banjo. It was a melody I was fooling around with for a little bit. And, you know, I, I carry these little bits of melodies all the time, and I always fool around with them and this and that. But every once in a while, they take a tangent or I find a new interpretation of that little piece of a melody. And all of a sudden, I'm off and running into a new melody. And and that's what happened with Callas Waltz. And very often, they become songs. But I always knew I wanted to write something that, frankly, could be played on the fiddle. And I was looking for a waltz. And as I wrote it, I, I kept thinking, oh, man, this sounds so good on the banjo. And surely there are banjo waltzes. And I wasn't sure if they were at the time <laughs> or if I was just amusing myself. But, yeah, I, I developed it on the banjo and I kept I kept it as a banjo melody. And at the time I was writing music, I've done music for, uh, I guess at this point, six different film and TV projects over the years. And I was doing a, uh, a whole the whole soundtrack for a film called The Road to Valhalla. Um, and they specifically asked me to do the music and write the original music for it because they wanted to have a blend of American and Celtic musical styles. And so that was my thinking throughout that whole project. And Callas Waltz is one of the waltzes that and melodies that I wrote for that project.
We've talked a little bit about instrumentation, the fiddle and, and the banjo, two very prominent influences in American music, particularly in bluegrass and country music, where I think we see the strongest influence of Celtic music on American music. But the the song stylings of Celtic music are also present in American folk music and in uh, certainly in modern country music, bluegrass music, and probably across all genres. Let's talk a little bit about those. You talked about early on that uh, Celtic music, especially the ballad style, has that longing for love. You certainly see that in in modern day country music. The you know man leaves his woman, woman leaves a man, the dog dies, yeah. somebody drinks my beer, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. Longing for love is certainly a feature in modern day country music. Um, sure. In fact, if you have a guy whose wife leaves him and steals his pickup truck and takes all his beer, that's the perfect country song right there. <laughs> Um, and all of that kind of then begats, I suppose, the drinking song. And I'm thinking in terms of, um, it's five o'clock somewhere, you know, there's certainly yeah. a lot of popular yeah. drinking songs out there and, yeah, that's true. and, and drinking uh, alcohol is certainly a subject, uh, not uncommonly found in Celtic music. Yeah. So I, I guess we see those different types of stylings and something we touched on earlier, and that is taking a story and setting it to music and it creating a song. And, and, and so the use of a song to tell a story, again, is a very popular songwriting style, uh, even in pop music. I mean, you can go to some of Taylor Swift's songs are you know, basically her telling a story about things that are happening in her life. Uh, yeah. in, in terms of going back into your music, I'm thinking of some of the tunes I was listening to. Um, the Massacre of Glencoe, of course, tells oh, yeah. uh, the story of, of a, of a uh, very infamous history uh, in, in Scotland. I was quite attracted by Witches Well, and I'll uh-huh. get you to tell me about that in a few moments. Uh, and the ultimate, uh, of course, in terms of ballad to me uh, as a Scottish song is Loch Lomond. But yeah. let's get into uh, Witches Well, I, I found interesting because that I'm correct that that's an original of yours. Is that right? Yeah, it is. I wrote that with a woman from... Um, Phoenix. I'm, I'm sorry. I keep saying Phoenix. It's Tucson. Uh, she's a professor of uh, Native American law at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And uh, it's knowing that I have an interest in historical songwriting. And uh, so she asked me about uh, that particular thing and she presented me with some poems and, and some of the basic history. And we worked back and forth over email and uh, in person uh, on that song. And, and that's where the lyrics came from. And when she first gave me the idea, she said, do you have any any thoughts for this melody? And I said, you bet. <laughs> a number of years ago, I had this notion for writing this his long historical ballad the way they used to write about, you know, a particular historical event. And so I had this notion of telling a story like that. And, and I had this melody that I wrote for it. Anyway, I never did develop the lyrics for that, but I loved the melody and I played it years and years and just kind of kept it on the side. So when she presented me with this medieval story, I thought, oh my God, it's perfect. So I just kind of worked with her to fit uh, her poem and her story to the music and, and that's the result. They came in the night with their torches alight and in terror they hunted them down. Wagers of sin and their practicing kin would be seized in the name of the crown. Scotland's King James pointed fingers of blame for the malice that ravaged the land. These witches must pay, we must purge them today, have their practices forever banned. Let the madness begin, the cleansing of sin, the devil will fight and win. Accusations fly, and your fate is nigh, let the trials begin. You sickened his cattle, you killed her, no babe, we named you. You're a witch. The first to be sought were enchanters who taught they could heal with a potion or spell. Then women unwed who'd been taken to bed And been sleeping with demons from hell And when they were done, sure the righteous had won And the balance of grace been restored Hundreds had died, all of Scotland had cried But been purged in the name of the Lord Let the madness begin, the cleansing of sin The devil will fight and win Accusations fly and your fate is nigh 
the trials begin You sickened his cattle, you killed her new babe, we named you You're a witch A placard today will invite you to seek out the tale It's been hundreds of years since the trials and tears And the story of old witches well It's a shadow that's cast from the tales of the past It's a story of heartbreak and pain We tally the cost of humanity lost It's a price that's too dear to be paid let the madness begin, the cleansing of sin The devil will fight and win Accusations fly and your fate is nigh Let the trials begin You sickened his cattle, you killed her new babe We named you You're a witch And that's another element of Celtic music I wanted to explore, and that is that a lot of songs that we know very well, that are in fact very considered to be very popular American songs, are often older Scottish, Irish songs where some brilliant American has, or maybe just a brilliant immigrant, has has taken a well-known tune and set new lyrics to it and a new title to it and come up with a new song. A couple of examples I know of, Cotton Eyed Joe um, sure. is, yeah. it was a very popular song. You live in Texas now. I'm a Texas native. Cotton Eyed Joe yeah. is very popular on the dance floors, et cetera, in Texas. And that's a remake of an old Irish tune called The Mountaintop. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo Gals is another one that I remember from my childhood. And that's from a tune called Battle of Boyne. I, I know there are some ah. other examples you could probably uh, tell us about, but that's not unusual, is it, to see an older Scottish or an Irish song taken and reworked, tweaked maybe a little bit, but given some new lyrics and suddenly you've got a new song? Yeah, no, it's very common. Yeah. I wrote one called um, The Rockbridge Artillery. It was an American story using an old Celtic melody. And the old melody that I used was one that most commonly today we remember as Tramps and Hawkers. So, you know, I, <laughs> The fact that that's an existing tradition gave me permission, as far as I was concerned, <laughs> to go and do it myself. I, I did, it, did that with another one. I, I used uh, the same melody for the Patriot game. Uh, Bob Dylan used it for one of his songs, the same melody. And I used it for a song called, gosh, The Ballad of Thomas Higgins, which tells the story of a runaway slave in the American Civil War. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great tradition, as far as I'm concerned, reusing these beautiful old melodies that people know. And uh, telling a new story with it. Streets of Laredo, an American story. We think of it as an American yeah. cowboy story. But even even the, the basic premise of the story, you know, somebody's giving the main thrust of that story is here's this old cat. He's cowboy. He's dying. He's giving advice about, it, you know, his life. And he's saying, here's the instructions for my burial. Well, that's the basic premise of the Bard of Armagh and, you know, the unfortunate rake, the unfortunate last songs from from uh, Ireland and Scotland and England even, uh, that all had that same sort of notion. They've taken that same basic notion for, you know, four or 500 years, maybe longer, and, and used the same melody. <laughs> it's amazing. That brings to mind another of your songs that, that has really struck with me as I've been listening to your music. You talked about, you know, people reflecting on their lives, et cetera. And probably right now, my favorite track of yours is uh, Even As I Ramble. Uh, another oh. one, another one. I think from one of your film projects. Yes, it is. I was reading in the liner notes that that's uh, the story of a soldier coming home from the Civil War and reflecting on, you know, what he's been through the past several years. Kind of maybe looking a little forward to what his life's going to be now. Tell us a little yeah. bit about uh, even as I ramble. 
Oh, that's great. I'm glad you asked about that one. Well, that was another one. That's, that one started out as a banjo melody as well. Only this time, I, I always had in, in mind the story, the basic story behind this. And the basic story was a, a young fellow, as you said, who was at the end of the American Civil War, especially the guys in the South, had to spend so much of their time walking home. You know, I mean, catching rides where they could, but they spent hours and hours walking. And I'm, I'm thinking as you spending all that time leaving the war behind you, you know, it must be, feel like coming back from Mars when you're going back home. You know, I mean, as terrible as it was, you know, you loved the guys you were with. You, you know, it was terrible to be in all those battles and so forth, but you're leaving them behind as much as you're happy about going home to seeing what, you, you know, your family um, ahead of you. So I thought, what would that debriefing be like? And I just imagined this young fellow walking down those dusty roads and alongside the bubbling brooks and, you know, covered by the trees sometimes and out in the sun sometimes. And what would I be doing if I was walking and, and hitching those rides? I'd be singing songs. I'd be humming the melodies, the tunes, you know, that I grew up with. And as I'm doing that, it's almost meditative. You eventually feel like your footsteps are what's turning the earth beneath your feet and, uh, you know, all of that sort of thing. And, and that's what, you know, each new footsteps brings the midday sun, so to speak, you know. And so all of that was in my mind. And, and at the same time, I'm, I'm thinking about where I'm going home to. And so all I wanted to do, once again, paint with a broad brush, but uh, give you uh, a hint about what that experience might be like. Morning sunlight through the trees My song sails on the summer breeze Repeating every word I said Like running water through my head Even as I ramble The hours fly, the miles slip by My footsteps bring the midday sky Another tune, another song Another hour it won't be long Even as I ramble Oh, I've seen trouble and I bear heavy Closer to my home 
is a YouTube video done with that song, and all of the images are Civil War era, and I think it was written, obviously, for film project with that time frame. And yet, having listened to it several times, to me, its message could almost relate to any veteran. I got a real sense that, that that video could be redone easily, progressing through time, uh, as it were, beginning perhaps with the Civil War and then the, the visual images progressing through the ages, um, because it is really, it's a song about coming home from war and looking exactly. forward and going on with your life. And so it has a very, I think, a very broad and universal appeal in that sense. I love to hear you say that. That's exactly what I had in mind. That is exactly what I had in mind. There's no doubt about it. You know, if, for me, a lot of times the, the 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 historical part of the song is simply the backdrop that I use to tell my story. And and it's always the human side of uh, the message that that I want to convey. Um, and I can choose lots of different backdrops, I suppose. And in that case, I chose to, you know, there was a particular film project that I was working um, that made me grasp that human message, as you said, about here is a young man coming back from war and looking forward to, to what he's coming home to. And and that, as you say, could be any war. And, and one of the most exciting things to me when I f- first released that album was to see that song played uh, on days when, uh, like Memorial Day and some of the, the veteran mm. celebration days and so forth on the radio and being part of programs like that, that, that said to me that the disc jockey got it. <laughs> it wasn't just, <laughs> it wasn't just a civil war song. It wasn't just from the movie. It was, it was about any, any t- kind of experience, any time, uh, someone might experience that. Well, and, and I am an old disc jockey. And so maybe, maybe that's where I picked <laughs> up on, or maybe why I picked yeah, up on that. So. <laughs> Maybe so. I know one of your interests is the migration of music, and we're talking about Celtic music primarily here with touches of American folk as well. And you've had the opportunity to work with, to work with a number of artists, another one of whom is a great favorite of mine. And I'm talking about Michael Martin Murphy. Oh, um, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And um, I loved him in his pop days. He has since moved uh, his focus on to cowboy music. But I'm, th- I'm thinking of uh, two of his favorite songs of mine from his pop genre, Wildfire, of course, which was his huge yeah. hit, um, and yeah. Carolina in the Pines. And that one in oh, particular yeah. makes song. me think, you know, if I go back and listen to that again, I was thinking that last night, listening to, uh, to some of your music, Carolina in the Pines, I'm, and I know there's some banjo riffs in there, and I'm thinking there's probably yeah. some Celtic influence in there somewhere. Oh, I definitely, I can see, I can definitely hear it in his music. Yeah, I'm using that as a segue to uh, his interest in in cowboy and western music as a segue into as settlers as America moved ever westward, um, you know the cowboy evolved in the wild wild west and cowboy music. Um, did Celtic music continue to make that trip across and into the western United States? Are there Celtic influences in our cowboy music? Yeah, for sure. Um, and there were actually a number of Irish uh, cowboys. I mean, they, they came out here and became cowboys and, and worked the the range way back when, and they brought their music with them. Uh, gosh, uh, Don Edwards, I think it is, does this wonderful uh, poem song. It's a recitation and a bit of a song where uh, the story is, you know, this guy's waiting to go out and, and work his shift uh, as a watchman. Uh, on this cattle drive and, and the poem is beautiful and so forth. He talks about the, the, you know, he sets the stage and talks about the beautiful place where they are and all that sort of thing. But this guy's dreading, you know, knowing he's only got a couple hours to sleep and he's got to go be relieved by this guy who's, um, he's got to go and relieve this guy who's out there sitting on his horse singing the song, Annie Laurie. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful old Scottish song, of course, an old beautiful old ballad from, I don't know, the late 1700s or something, maybe even older. And, uh, you know, it's it's a great example of, uh, you know, direct connection to of um, the Celtic to the cowboy. Um, but, yeah, for sure, there's there's uh, a big influence. And, you know, Murph, Murphy, uh, I, I just did another movie with Murph. Uh, uh, that just came out, a movie called Home on the Range, and it's about the song Home on the Range. Murph and I, we weren't actually together on, on the set at the same time, but um, one of the filmmaker told me that uh, one of the pieces of music that I contributed was a recording in a, uh, of uh, a song that I wrote for another film. <laughs> and, and that song is called My Sweet Prairie Child. And once again, I purposely used a, an old Scottish melody in this case, a melody that's called Hector the Hero. 
what is mm. simply a drop dead gorgeous piece of music, one of the prettiest I've ever heard, and a sad, sad melody. And um, Hector the Hero and and uh, Murphy told the filmmaker he said he was amazed when he heard that they used that uh, instrumental in the film. He said because he always thought that the song Home on the Range had some similar um, some melodic uh, similarities to that that particular piece. <laughs> now uh, there's there are some I can see some of that too, but I I just you know. I bring that up because it, it just goes to show that people like Murph and me, both of whom uh, have a great interest in Celtic and American folk music, are always seeing these connections. You know, <laughs> now "Home in the Range" is a much simpler melody. It's a very simple, you know, one, two, three sort of um, melody. Whereas "Hector the Hero" is is long and gorgeous and sophisticated, and it's very different in style. But there are some some melodic similarities and. So, you know, is it something, a melody that this guy heard, you know, the guy who wrote Home on the Range, very possibly, you know, who knows. But uh, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, those of us that, that spend our, our lives in both worlds, the Celtic and the American styles, uh, we, can, we can see the connection or sometimes just feel it. <laughs> Talking about, I guess, cowboy music and singing cowboys almost brings us full circle to some of your early influences, the, the singing cowboys. Yeah. And and talking about Home on the Range, this is a segue I would never have thought to make, but the uh, simple melodic sound of Home on the Range brings yeah. to mind Block Lomond, um, uh, one that we, yeah. I think everyone knows and learns as a kid, as I did. Yeah. And you do a beautiful rendition of that. Uh, and, you, and yet, like... So many songs, as we've discussed, uh, especially the ballads, there is quite a story um, that I didn't always know until recently behind uh, Loch Lomond about the two soldiers uh, that are yeah. captured and one knows he's going to die and that's taking the low road. One's going to live yeah. and take the high road. Can you kind of carry on with the story? And Well, well, you know, uh, I think the interpretation of that song um, is that uh, – as you say, the two soldiers, one's going to die, one is going to live. And, and he's saying to him, you know, I know I'm going to die. You're going home over the, over the highlands, and I'm, I'm going to go below, uh, and I'll be in Scotland before you are. And that's the, the basic um, sort of story behind the song. I, I do think there's a lot of um, urban myth around that song. I don't know that we have, I have specifics, and maybe you have a better understanding of it, of, of where that song came from and exactly what they were talking about. In other words, I don't know that we can point to a historical event with, that inspired the song to be written. By on bonny banks and by on bonny breeze Where the sun shines bright on black where me and my true love forever want to be On the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond Oh, you'll take the high road And I'll take the low road And I'll be in Scotland for he For me and my true love never meet again on the bonny bonny banks of Loch Lomond It was there that we parted by unshady glen on the steep steep sides of Ben where in the purple the healing hills review And the moon coming out in the golden Oh, you'll take the high road And I'll take the low road And I'll be in Scotland for ye For me and my true love will never Bonnie banks of luck.
birdie sings and the wild flower springs and in sunshine the waters lie sleeping but the broken-hearted kings nay second spring again and the world knows not how we are grieving oh you'll talk the high road and I'll talk the I'll be in Scotland for he, for me and my true love will never meet again on the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond. Oh, you'll talk the high road, and I'll talk the low road, and I'll be in Scotland for. For me and my true love will never meet again On the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond You do travel the country, um, performing yes. at Celtic fairs and Tartan festivals and those types of things. And America certainly has uh, unquestionably the largest Celtic diaspora community anywhere in the world. What's your take on the strength of interest in traditional Scots and Irish tunes as well as Celtic music in general? Uh, it's changed. I do think it's still um, strong and still healthy. I think that we have a great interest in it. The, the festivals are really thriving, a lot of them. And there's a great interest in, in doing sort of the great big heart thumping, you know, Celtic rock uh, or big sound things like the, the pipe and drums bands and so forth. And, and those aren't, you know, really traditional, but they're based on the traditional and, and they help kind of bring new, new uh, people into the audience. And they very often sing the old traditional songs, even if it's a, a Celtic version of the old song, a Celtic rock version of the old song, or, you know, a big thunderous, you know, guys in kilts and no shirts kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and now you've got, you've got me thinking about the elders. Um, I got to see them, yeah. met them actually at a, at an, a gig I was doing in Kansas City a few years ago. And of course, the Red Hot Chili Pipers are huge. I'm huge fans yeah. of them. And that's a whole other genre of music with bagpipes and rock, bag rock. But it is an evolution. Yeah. A lot of the trad folks that I, you know, the balladeers and the trad guys that I, I chum with, uh, you know, sometimes look their, down their nose at them. But as one of the festival men told me, you know, I, I said to him, you know, I played your festival five years and, and uh, you know, that rock stage just got bigger and bigger. And he, he looked at me and he said, that's what pays for your tent. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And I'm happy to have them. And, and they had some great, you know, Celtic rock bands from, you know, Europe. And, you know, and, and all of these guys were excellent musicians. And, you know, I don't. I don't mind that stuff. It's, it's not my cup of tea. It's not what I do, but, um, you know, uh, I, I am grateful that they, they draw in the big crowds because some of those crowds spill over into my tent and they buy my CDs. <laughs> so, you know, I, it, I, that's, that's where the change is coming. But on the other hand, uh, it does keep people's interest they, they bring in new people and and those new people do kind of stumble their way over to the folk tent and they do hear the traditional music you know guys like ed miller um you know who's been doing it for years and here in america and he's just a, a gifted performer and a wonderful guy and and he uh, he's, he's the same thing you know here's my song here's my story and uh, he just goes from one to the next and and all of a sudden he's drawing in new listeners I do think that it's still healthy, even though it's changing, and uh, I think it's going to continue. And especially, you know, my interest in, in telling people how this old stuff, how it influenced the stuff that we listen to today. A lot of times you'll hear my music and, you'll, and they'll say, oh, he's just an American folk singer. <laughs> but I'm singing an Irish song or a Scottish song or vice versa, you know. So I got my feet firmly in both worlds. and. My audiences recognize that, and I, I think I'm helping them see uh, the, the, the Celtic roots of American music. My thanks, as always, to my guest and my friend, Jed Marum. If the opportunity arises, I strongly encourage you to take in one of his performances. You'll find a list of his upcoming appearances on his website, and the link for that is in our show notes at www.underthetartansky.scot. In the coming weeks, we'll be discussing Scotland's Year of History, Heritage, and Archaeology, 
We'll visit with a bespoke tartan designer from the Highlands of Scotland, and we'll explore a bit of the dark side of the history of Scots in America with Ian Lundy, author of Between Daylight and Hell. Meanwhile, please remember we're on the website and iTunes, and if you enjoy these little forays into all things Scottish, a review on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. Until next time, I'm Glenn Moyer. Tabulave Agus Oliver Gubra. Under the Tartan Sky is a production of Glenn L. Moyer Creative Communications. For show notes and more information on this and all Under the Tartan Sky episodes, please visit our website at www.underthetartansky.scot. And while you're there, check out our online shop where you can buy exclusive Under the Tartan Sky logo apparel and other items. Have an idea for a future episode? Well, get in touch via email at info at underthetartansky.scot. Visit and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our username is at underscore tartansky. That's the underscore symbol, tartansky. And thank you for listening.